from the WIA. This is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. This is WIA National News for week commencing November the 24th, 2013. Hi, I'm Robert, VK3DN. And I'm Brian, VK3GR. G'day, Rob. G'day, Brian. And we have a guest with us this week. And I'd like to welcome Ralph, VK3 Lima Lima. Well, good morning, listeners. And can I just begin, Robert and Brian, by saying what a huge studio you have here. Do you like it? Sensational. And thank you very much for letting me uh, be involved coming into the inner sanctum. He survived the initiation rituals? Only just. Well, there's plenty of equipment here for you to play with. Oh, yeah. Now, listeners, you're probably wondering what's happened to Graham. Unfortunately, Graham's not feeling so well this week, so we collectively would like to wish Graham all the very best for a speedy recovery so that he can have the uh, hot seat, the new seat, back again next week. So uh, good on you, Graham, and uh, take care. Rest up. Let's begin this week with Victoria National Parks event, a huge success. With perfect weather conditions, the 2013 Keith Roger Memorial National Park Award Activation Weekend saw a record number of portable stations set up and log many contacts. Award manager Tony Hambling, VK3VTH, says a very enthusiastic group of radio amateurs activated 26 unique VK3 national parks on Friday to Sunday last weekend. Included from across the border was John, VK2AWJ, Larry, VK5LY, Paul VK5PAS, Cole VK5HCF, and Tom VK5EE. Their huge effort is most appreciated. Also this year, Tony VK3VTH reports what he believes is another first, in that husband and wife team Joe VK3YSP and Julie VK3FOWL activated Churchill and Dandenong Ranges National Parks. The pair were kept busy. Well done to Julie, VK3FOWL, who recently joined our ranks. Not to miss this third annual event, Peter, VK3ZPF, who described it as a fantastic weekend. He personally activated three national parks, chased 14 others in the parks to log 100 QRP and 14 QRO QSOs. The VK3ZPF QRP portable station worked DX in the Cook Islands, USA, Germany, England and New Zealand. One of the many chasing the award was Peter VK3TKK, who got his tally up. He and many others enjoyed the fun. Tony VK3VTH says, in seeking an award, remember there is an endorsement category available. It may be QRP or single sideband or whatever you choose, but be specific and it will be on the award certificate. Activations are encouraged throughout the year, but do keep in mind the summer fire season, particularly in some of the remote parks. Tony VK3VTH says, Thanks to everyone for supporting the Amateur Radio Victoria Keith Roger Memorial National Park Award Program. Information on award submissions can be found at www.amateurradio.com.au forward slash awards. For questions, please contact Tony Direct. VK3VTH at amateurradio.com.au And we actually had a uh, presentation, a a meeting at uh, the club last week about Soda Rob. Um, Well attended? Very well attended. And uh, not just the uh, presenters bringing on their soda kit, but uh, Peter VK3ZPF and Peter VK3PF and a few others just in the audience brought along their kits. And the 
ingenuity of uh, the beam antennas, the lightweight and what they carry in their packs and uh, the dedication actually as well. And, uh, you know, running up and down hills uh, stops you from being a big hammy ham. Look, I think it's uh, fantastic. Anything that we can do that uh, takes us and our equipment out of the shack and uh, into the field is is uh, really good. I think it's also nice that you can put two things together. These guys were doing SOTA at the same time as doing the Keith Roger. So, yeah, two birds with uh, one stone. What do you reckon, Ralph? And speaking of being a big hammy ham, hams across Australia and from VK2 representing Amateur Radio at Seniors Week in 2014. John Murphy, VK2 PJM, reports that the Hunter Radio Group, the Adamstown Old Blokes, Jesmond Electronics Club in the Hunter region, Wireless Institute Civil Emergency Net, that's uh, Wyson, Westlake's Amateur Radio Club and the Newcastle Computer Club have been invited to display at an event sponsored by the Newcastle City Council. The event for Seniors Week in 2014 runs from the 23rd of March from 11am. Thanks that, Ralph. Now next to Ed, VK2JI is going to let us know a little bit more about what's going on at the next Wyong Central Coast Amateur Radio Club Wyong Field Day. Thanks, Ed. Hi. This week I'm going to go through the list of attractions that will be available to you at the Wyong Field Day on Sunday the 23rd of February 2014 once you've paid your entrance fee of $15. Persons under 17 years of age get in for free. Traders and Exhibitors The Traders and Exhibitors area will open to the public for trading from 9am. As usual, access to this area before then will be restricted to CCARC field day officials and authorised traders so that they can set up. Flea Market For those who wish to sell their own equipment, open boot or tailgate sales may be conducted in the flea market. No bookings needed. Just turn up on the day and pay at the gate. That's $15 per person admission plus $25 for a spot. Setup and trading starts from 6.30am. Please note that the flea market is not undercover and as such traders in the flea market need to provide protection for their display in case of adverse weather. Clubs Fair The CCARC has invited all WIA registered New South Wales amateur radio clubs to present their clubs at the field day. It is hoped that this will allow the clubs to gain extra members. Other clubs that are not WIA registered, and hence not on the WIA list of clubs in New South Wales, and any from outside of New South Wales, are of course also welcome to take part in this new part of the field day. There is no charge to the clubs to be able to display. Please check the club website for contact details. Shuttle Bus There will be a free shuttle bus from the car park and railway station to the main vendors area for those who have trouble walking. Education. As well as assessments on the day, the CCARC is running a full-day foundation course on Saturday the 22nd of February. If you are interested in either the course or an assessment, or both, please contact Chris Lobb via email at vk2yychris at gmail.com or direct to his mobile 0428 239413 for full details and to register for the course and or an assessment. For full details about the field day, 
please go to the club's website at ccarc.org.au. Thanks for that, Ed. And now to Media Watch, the very particular world of amateur radio. Neil Meads of the BBC joined the Chorley and District Amateur Radio Society during a Castles and Stately Homes on the Air, that's Kashota, event at Astley Hall, a Grade 1 listed house in Lancashire. A video and short article has been published on the BBC News magazine interviewing amateurs involved who share a range of perspectives on what they do and why they do it. Of note is the 10% growth in licences over the past year and the club's express goal to break down the traditional stereotypes of amateur radio enthusiasts. Here's 13-year-old Joshua, 2E0IRN, who's studying for his intermediate licence upgrade under the club's education program. When I go on the radio, I get the excitement of working far distance on very low power, really. Well, you're doing a fantastic job with the station, Josh. Much appreciated. America, Australia... Japan, and they're really good for talk to, because they're a different culture, and you learn about their culture and their way of life. It's a great piece of uh, video too. Years old. Yeah, you got to see him. He's, he's banging away at his key, and you, know, you can see in some of the B-roll they're uh, going through some of the theory as well. And he seems quite uh, genuinely excited. And if you chase down the um, the club website, he's uh, proudly the youngest member of the group. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. Continuing on, now to operational news, Dateline 2013, and as we speak, the WIA Spring VHF UHF Field Day, the weekend of November 23rd and 24th. Ralph, you're out and about for this, aren't you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I've got one right now. I'm, uh, <laughs> matter of fact, I've got it now. No, I'm, I'm out right as we speak. Right <laughs> while you're listening to this broadcast, you can call us VK3KQ, operating from a secret location somewhere in central Victoria. Actually, just near Creswick. It's not that secret. Thank you for that. Into next year, 2014, the Summer VHF UHF Field Day, 11 and 12 of January. John Moyle Field Day, weekend of March, 1516. The VK-wide Harry Angel Memorial Sprint, May 3rd. The 1010 International Summer Contest, August 2nd and 3rd. And the big WIA Remembrance Day, the RD Contest, August 16th and 17th. Ooh, very important days, those ones. Well, one of them is August 16th. You know why? That's my birthday. Speaking of special events, other special events, stations, DX, Beacon Repeaters and Net Advice, K9W, the Wake Island approved for the DXCC credit. Bill Moore, NC1L at the ARRL Awards Desk, reports that K9W, Wake Atoll Commemorative DXpedition, has been approved for DXCC credit. More information, including QSL card routing, can be found on the web at www.wake2013.org and we'll have further DX news later in this week's report. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Final Frontier. ISS Expedition 37 brings the Olympic torch home. The International Space Station Expedition 37 crew has returned safely to Earth bringing with it the Olympic torch that flew with the ISS Expedition 38 crew. Those returning with the torch were Russian Commander Fyodor Yurchikin, RN3FI, American astronaut Karen Nyberg, and European Space Agency astronaut Luca Paramitano, KF5KDP. 
The torch will be used to light the flame when the Winter Olympics open in Sochi, Russia. Ironically, the three returning spacefarers have made their trip back to Kazakhstan in exactly the same spacecraft that ferried them there in the first place. Staying in space, art and ham radio in deep space. Students at the Tama Art University in Japan are planning to send a sculpture called ArtSat 2 Dispatch along with an amateur radio payload into deep space. This to take place sometime in mid-2014. The sculpture, which is 50 by 50 by 45 centimetres, was created at the university using a 3D printer. The ham radio portion of the payload will consist of a CW beacon in the 435 MHz band using an omnidirectional antenna. The sculpture and ham radio gear are planned to launch as a secondary payload, along with a primary asteroid explorer, Hayabusa 2. Hayabusa 2 will be making a round trip to the C-type asteroid 1999JU3, arriving in mid-2018. For hams here on Earth, this mission should provide the ultimate in DX reception challenge, especially when at its maximum distance of 2 million miles from Earth. More about this interesting combined art and science exploration exercise is on the web at tinyurl.com forward slash artsat dash dispatch. 3D printer, Rob. Firstly, that's a great way to waste some ham radio gear sending it out 2 million miles into space. But 3D printing, mate, I think you've uh, had a close encounter of the 3D printing kind. Yes, we did. And in fact, uh, all three of us here on this morning's broadcast... I uh, had the pleasure of uh, attending the Eurisco Maker Fair exhibition that took place two weekends ago. And uh, it's the, the, the Hacker Maker community uh, equivalent of, I guess, a ham fest. They had all kinds of different displays and uh, things to uh, try out. One of the things that they had there at the display was a 3D scanner and a 3D printer. I was fortunate to be able to be uh, scanned in 3D, photographed in 3D sat on a chair, rotated around, takes your picture, and the software then processes the image uh, provided by the camera, and the 3D printer then is able to go and create a an effigy of a uh, robot, a plastic robot. A mini-DN. Uh, a mini-DN. <laughs> the image capture process probably took a couple of minutes, and mm. the printing process took about two or three hours Ooh. for something <laughs> that was about three or four inches high so cool and an immortal geek i gotta say that the urisco show to me uh captured everything that was geek i mean the three of us fitted perfectly and you were there taking video too yeah there'll be some video coming up on youtube very soon but I i think the thing that really captured my attention was the thing for the amateur that has everything their own satellite yes folks you can have your very own 433 megahertz satellite orbiting in space. It's called a Femtosat, and uh, for just around the $300 mark, you can have a satellite that sits up in space, well, for a short period of time at least. You'll be able to say for three weeks that you've got your own satellite. <laughs> After then, you'll be able to say you had your own satellite because <laughs> it, it slowly... Um, comes down and and burns up on approach. Speaking of which, burning up on approach, the European Space Agency announces that the G0CE Space Ferrari is deorbiting. 
Following on from reports of the impending re-entry of the satellite, the European Space Agency has confirmed that the G0CE satellite entered the Earth's atmosphere on Sunday evening, November the 10th, US time, burning up in the process. Early estimates suggest that any surviving debris is likely to have fallen somewhere along its polar flight path through East Asia and the Western Pacific to Antarctica. The G0CE mission was operating in an extremely low orbit of about 140 miles above Mother Earth. This was among the lowest of any scientific satellite and required constant use of the novel electric ion engine to stay aloft. In mid-October, its fuel reserves were exhausted, so its descent into the atmosphere and burn-up was expected. Dubbed the Ferrari of space because its streamlined looks, G0CE is the first ESA bird to make an uncontrolled re-entry in more than two and a half decades. In its final days on orbit, several news outlets suggested the public tracked the demise of G0CE at the n2yo.com website. Well, there you go, Ralph. I guess that looks a little different to a Femtosat. A little bigger, I would have thought. I would think so, indeed. And, uh, oh, uh, just mentioning uh, the um, Urisco uh, event that was on uh, two weeks ago. Today, our Sydney folk, in fact, have their Maker Fair. And the WIA has booked a stall for the uh, very first Sydney Maker Fair at, being held at the Sydney Powerhouse Museum. Uh, it's on Sunday, this Sunday, 24th of November. And the uh, Maker Fair, according to its organisers, they say that it's the greatest show and tell on earth, a family-friendly showcase of invention, creativity, resourcefulness and a celebration of the maker movement. Makers range from tech enthusiasts to crafters, homesteaders and scientists to garage tinkerers. And they are of all ages and backgrounds. Amateur Radio has a lot to offer. The new makers, says uh, Phil White, WI president, who will be there. And to show the potential of amateur radio, the WIA is bringing along some of the out-there aspects of the hobby, such as the Tamworth Radio Club's Edge of Space high-altitude balloon and the University of New South Wales Bluesat Amateur Radio Satellite Project. Now, if you want to go along to that one, it's at the Powerhouse Museum from 10am and the cost to get in the door is $12 per adult. Okay, a more radio space news, CubeSat news, the very first South African CubeSat built by students at the Cape Peninsula University of Technology and South Africa's third satellite were launched on the 21st of November, transmitting on 437.345 MHz. Now, if you hear the signals, send an email to samsat at intercom.co.za. Now, you can get the spelling of that one in the text edition of the news service. Measuring 10 by 10 by 10 centimetres and weighing in at 1.2 kilograms, the CubeSat named ZA-Cube-1 was scheduled to ride on a Russian rocket together with the UK FunCube and a number of other CubeSats. The main objective of the satellite project is the training of postgraduate students in satellite systems engineering. ZA-Cube-1 carries a HF beacon payload for characterisation of the Hermanus Magnetic Observatory's dual auroral radar network antenna at the Seine base in Antarctica. On board will also be a 20-metre CW beacon, and radio amateurs are urged to record and give feedback on the received time and signal strength of this beacon. The first signals of FunCube-1 will be at around the same time as ZA-Cube-1 
on 145.935 MHz, BPSK and CW. FunCube 1 carries a high-frequency beacon that serves as an active radio source orbiting the Earth. The radio signal will be received at our ground stations and from interpreting the direction from which the signal was received, we can deduce the propagation properties of the ionosphere, said Professor Robert Van Der Zyl. From the WIA, this is the weekly national news service originating from VK1 WIA. The FunCube 1 dashboard software released. The first release of the FunCube dashboard user interface software is now available for download at funcube.org.uk. This software, when used with a FunCube dongle or any other SSB-capable VHF receiver, will decode and display all the 58 telemetry channels, all the onboard status flags and also the fitter messages from the spacecraft. The FunCube dashboard will also enable users to upload the telemetry they're receiving to a central data warehouse so that others around the world can see what is happening on board. A fully illustrated set of installation and operating guidance notes can also be downloaded from that page. Additionally, we also have some IQ and audio files available there that can be used for testing. Full details of the telemetry format, which has considerable heritage from AO40, can be found at tinyurl.com forward slash ans321-funcubetestfiles. And of course that uh, uh, URL will be in the text edition of this uh, week's broadcast. Now for something that's not space related for a moment, Worldwide Special Interest Group's Rescue Radio IARU Region 3 Emergency Centre of Activity. The frequencies are 3.6 MHz, 7.11 MHz, 14.3 MHz, 18.160 MHz and in the 15 metre band 21.360 MHz. From Wyson in VK1. The Rally Defem previously scheduled for the 8th of December may be postponed. Please keep your ears open for a new date for the event which has yet to be determined. The current list of upcoming events for the first half of next year is Friday the 28th of Feb to Sunday the 2nd of March. Now that's the National Capital Rally. Of note, this is a three-day event, although if last year is anything to go by, the Friday will likely to be a single stage requiring minimal Weissen input. However, this is a big event and there will be multiple repeater setups required, not to mention a larger than normal and more difficult Rally HQ setup needing extra assistance. So help from those able to assist in the setup and teardown phase will be most welcome. And on Saturday the 29th to Sunday the 30th of March, the two-day walk, looking fairly quiet for the first half of the year, but no doubt things will get very busy again around late September to the early November period. Matt, VK1MA, the Wyson ACT coordinator, would like to thank all participants in the various Wyson activities this year, saying your help has been very much appreciated by both the club and the various groups that we have assisted this year. Without you, we couldn't have provided the support to those groups, and we are very grateful for this assistance. He's looking forward to next year's activities and, of course, the invaluable help from everyone involved. Thank you, Ralph. Now to Intruder Watch, the enforcement zone. India fishermen want ham radio and GPS gear. The Deccan Chronicle of India says that what are known as traditional fishermen 
want the right to use amateur radio with both free ham gear and GPS. This as a communication safety net when they venture out to sea. The newspaper says that these fishermen have not found any truly affordable and reliable electronic method to send or receive communication while fishing in the deep sea, especially when they face severe cyclonic storms. As such, they're forced to rely on what they term as unreliable mobile phones with no guarantee of signals reaching destination or backup power to keep them operating. A large number of these fishermen venture 200 miles or more from shore for several days at a time. Their only way to communicate their location or safety to their family are the unreliable mobile telephones they have now. Because of this, fishermen have been demanding the state government provide them with amateur radio gear and GPS equipment at a subsidy, as they cannot afford to purchase this equipment on their own. They say that if they are equipped with amateur radio, it will help to communicate to get weather updates, find their location at sea, and receive directions as to which way they should proceed to avoid impending danger. Currently, some 70,000 fishermen from several villages along India's coast are awaiting the response from the government on their demand. The president of the District Fishermen Welfare Association is quoted in the article as saying that when communication networks fail during the storm, fishermen find no source of information unless they're equipped with ham radio and GPS to help them reach shore safely. The question of licensing was not touched on in this news article. You can read more at tinyurl.com forward slash india-fishing-ham-radio. Well, that's pretty interesting, Brian. Um, what, fishermen going out, it says they're 200 miles from sea and relying on mobile phones. Well, trying to, aren't they? Well, yeah, well, it does say that the, the mobile phones are working unreliably. It's no wonder. Yes, at 200 miles. Okay, worldwide special interest groups, military. Thanks. Thank you for the military noise there, Ralph. Peter Ellis, VK1PE, brings us a report from the Mill CIS conference in Canberra. Amateurs operate on the margins of the commercial and military radio world, don't we? Last week I attended the Military Communications and Information Systems, or MILSIS, conference in Canberra. I mentioned by amateur radio credentials on several occasions and met at least one other amateur, Dom Bragg, VK2JNA who was working on the booth for Benelec, along with David Bencham, Benelec's general manager. Have a look for the bone conduction headset that blew my mind when I tried it. During a later visit on that stand, I met Bill Tainch, who offered to sell me vacuum relays and lump constant filters for amateur use, but was cagey about commercial customers. Then there was the presentation on active RF filtering in a high-use RF environment, meant for military use but I immediately thought of multi-operator contesting and operations from far-flung islands. For National Radio News, I'm Peter Ellis, VK1PE. Thanks Peter. Special interest groups, VHF and above. A wrap-up of the second annual VK3 Microwave Test Day. On Sunday the 10th of November, the EMDRC hosted the second annual VK3 Microwave Test and Tune Day at the club rooms located in Burwood. The format this year included the normal field strength testing of TX and RX systems from 1.3, 2.4, 3.4, 5.4, 10 GHz and 47 GHz, but also featured a special visitor from Tasmania, Rex VK7MO, and his high-performance portable 10 GHz EME station. 
Peter, VK3QI, manned a bench of test equipment to assist with the testing and tuning of the gear that people needed help troubleshooting. And a number of people took advantage of this throughout the day with some tinkering of a 10 gigahertz station and a 1.3 gigahertz transverter amongst the various tasks. All visitors were appreciative of Peter's time and expertise in assistance. Inside was some show-and-tell with Graham having a number of his kits available and others with gear to show off and explain. As the day progressed, the barbecue was fired up and we even had a fancy field strength meter to test exposure limits from the devices in operation around the grounds. The public maximum exposure, 20% of the systems, was typically around one meter in front of the antennas. After lunch, the group busied themselves with more testing, tuning and talking as a way to divert their restlessness in anticipation of the moon rise and for Rex to fire up his 10 gigahertz 50 watt EME station. This comprised a 90 centimetre dish and was connected to a laptop running JT4F mode using the WSJT software. The group worked OWL W5LUA in Texas from this station and for the next two hours many got a chance to individually work 10 GHz EME. A full report with over 100 photos can be viewed via Andrew VK3BQ's report at VK3BQ.com. Okay, well, we've just about come to the end of the news broadcast, but Brian? Before we go, submitting news items. If you'd like to submit news items for inclusion in the VK1 WIA broadcast, please email your item in text to nationalnews at wia.org.au. To submit audio, read How to Submit Items in the weekly news page on wia.org.au. Remember, the sooner you submit material, the more the likelihood of it being broadcast in the very next edition of the National News. Each item will only be broadcast once, so if you want a couple of mentions, record it a couple of different ways and we'll put it in. All right, well, I'd, uh, that uh, takes us to the end of the news. I'd like to thank uh, both Brian and Ralph for coming into the Melbourne studio. Thank you very much, uh, Robert and Brian, for having me. And, and again, this is a huge studio. I have never seen anything quite as big as this. All these knobs and dials. Or, oh, by the way, Robert, can I say it? Yes. We've reported. You decide. Now, what does this button do? Well, that one? That that makes the lights go out. Uh-huh. Which lights? Your lights, Ralph. We've reported, you decide.